In your Bibles to the Gospel of John, we're in John chapter 15. We've been looking at the Lord's time with the disciples in the upper room for the last several weeks. And chapter 14 finishes by saying, Jesus says, arise, let us go from here. And, um, and so it would appear that the time in the upper room has come to a close. Um, they have spent time with Christ. Christ has revealed that Judas is the one who is going to betray him. Judas has left. From there, he was ministering to the disciples. Judas is now going to go and he's going to betray Jesus and make the deals that he's making. And he's going to come and meet him there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to kiss him on space to identify that Jesus is who he is. And so they've gotten up. And it appears that they have left this area and are more than likely walking towards Gethsemane, going through, going through Jerusalem. And <laughs> that happens to me sometimes too. So, mute, press mute. That's the one. Um, throw it, throw it, Jim. Throw it out the door. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and so he's walking with them and he's and he's, he continues to teach them I, I, I think that, that as we study this um, the timing in which Jesus is, is, is saying these things is important it's important to look at it in the context of all that is occurring, to know that it's been simply one evening in which the disciples were there partaking of the Lord's Supper. Judas has been identified. Judas has left. The remaining disciples are there. Jesus knows what's about ready to take place as far as Jesus knows that, that Judas is going to come and he's going to kiss him and he's going to betray him. The disciples are going to see all that occurs. Um, when Jesus had said that one of them would be, betray me, the disciples even, the, the, they're, not, they're not there saying, you know, we know it's Judas, we know it's, it's him. Their response was, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And so the setting is all these things are fresh in their minds. These are the things that they've seen. These guys have walked with Jesus for three years, and now one of them is betraying him. The disciples are there. They're walking now, and more than likely, Jesus is even looking at a vineyard, looking at this vine with branches coming forth from the vine and fruit coming from it. And Jesus says to the disciples at this time, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. The last of the I am's, as Jesus does this throughout this time, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, 
that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. We'll stop there for this morning as far as the text that we'll be looking at. And just begin to look at it verse by verse here. Jesus begins in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the one who is the source of life. You could picture a vineyard. You could picture, we, we live in California. If you've, if you've gone up to Northern California or even down here in different parts of, of this particular climate, there's vineyards that are here. Um, when you think of Israel, Israel is almost the exact same climate as what we find here in California. So if you were to go there to Israel, you'll see so many of the exact same plants that you see here, you see over there. They grow um, many of the same fruit that we grow here. And, and it's, it's, a little, it's a, just the breadbasket of that entire region. I mean, you'll have the people in Israel sending food out all over the place because it's much like what we find here. And so you can picture the, the trunk of the, of the vine going up. And there's, here's this, this trunk going through and there's branches that are going forth from that. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I'm the one who is the source of your life. You have precious union with me. Your life is dependent upon Christ. He is the one that we are dependent on for any fruit to come forth out of our lives. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control coming forth out of our lives is all the result of us abiding in Christ the vine. As we go through this this passage, you're going to find our just complete and utter dependence upon Christ. Him speaking to the disciples and saying, you could just, you could picture it. You could see the trunk of this vine and here it goes forth and it has branches and they're, they're cared for and this is what it's like. And I'm that vine. I'm the one that gives these branches life. I'm the one that does that. I'm the one that gives you guys, the disciples, my people, those who are believers ever since then, I am the one, Christ says, that gives you life. He's the true vine. It's interesting that he says that he's a true vine. It, it begs the question that there must also be false vines that exist. People may think that the source of their life is their education or their popularity or the way they are with people or their looks or their wealth or their health or their friends or their drive and and any other man-centered thing that they think of as far as this is what it is that causes good things to come forth from 
my life. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the true vine. Anything, brothers and sisters, anything good that comes forth from our lives, any fruit that comes forth from our lives comes from him. It comes from him. He goes from there and says, and my father is the vine dresser. God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one who tills the ground. He's the one that lifts the branches from the ground. He's the one that prunes and cares for the branches that they might be fruitful. A vine dresser would do that. A vine dresser will come and, and, and it's vital for any kind of vineyard to be fruitful. That somebody comes and carefully cuts off certain sections of it so that the areas, other areas can be fruitful, that there could be much fruit that comes from the vineyard. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, but my father's the vine dresser. My father's the one that's going to come and he is going to work and, and, and water and till and prune and care for you so that you can be fruitful, so that your life can be fruitful. He's the one who gave us his only begotten son, isn't he? There's no possibility of us abiding in Christ. There's no possibility of us being fruitful apart from God the Father giving us his son. He's the one who gives us the righteousness of Christ and declares us forgiven through the work of Christ on the cross. It's the Father who, at the request of of Christ, sends us the Holy Spirit to give us new life and conforms us into the image of Christ. It is the Father who is the vine dresser who is there to minister to us. This is a blessing to us as we think about our place in Christ, to know that we abide in him and he's the vine and we're the branches and there's fruit that comes forth out of our lives, but it's the Father who's working to bring that fruit out of our lives. It's not dependent upon us to muster up enough energy to make it so that our lives are fruitful. We'll see as we go on in the text that he tells us that apart from him, we can't do anything. There's nothing that could come out of our lives apart from him. When you think about your life and you think about where you are today and the fruit that's come forth out of your life, all the glory goes to him, doesn't it? Any of us that have any inclination of just biblical thinking, we know that it's all him. When we see someone come to know Christ, how do we respond? None of us pray things like, I am so thankful that I was so brilliant in the way I articulated that message for that person. We just don't think like that, do we? Our prayers just reflect our God-centeredness, that we know that it's him. Like, Lord, thank you for saving him. We'll say things like, thank you that in spite of me, in spite of my failures, in spite of the fact that my family sees all that I do that just, it's just failure, sin. You still use me to minister to them. Or you use me to minister to my friends. Thank you when, when I don't have all the answers and I don't have the ability to answer every question that they give or articulate everything perfectly, you still just work so mightily in that person's life to bring them to salvation. 
Thank you that, that even though my resources are small, I was still able to just find some to be able to use for the purpose of the gospel going forward. Thank you for giving me the ability to love when I just did not want to love. Thank you for giving me the ability to forgive when I did not want to forgive. Thank you for working in me and doing this in me. Lord, all the glory goes to you for any good thing that comes out of my life. The reason why is because he is the vine. We're simply the branches. He goes from there in verse 2 and says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. As we go through this passage, there's different interpretations to this particular section of Scripture. Um, Some are just poor. All the rest of Scripture would, would... make it so that the way that they interpret it just is not a possibility. It would contradict just vast passages of Scripture. Others are better, and, and um, I find myself studying different people and finding very solid people on different camps and different places here. As we look at this, one of the questions that comes up is, okay, so there's certain branches that do not bear fruit. And he takes them away. And so the question would come up is, is it as some people have said that there's those that can lose their salvation? And I would share with you just wholeheartedly that I do not believe that that is the case. As as you look at Scripture, to come to a conclusion that you could lose your salvation based on Texts like this where you're looking at these branches saying like, okay, there's some branches that, that don't bear fruit and he takes them away. You, you have to think of passages that say things like, I hold you in my hand and the Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you away. It tells us, neither shall you ever perish. All that the Father has given me will come to me and I'll lose none of them. He tells us things like, I'm the author and I'm the finisher of your faith, or I began a good work in you and I'll be faithful to complete it. He tells us things like, I give you eternal life. I give you everlasting life. He makes it so clear in Scripture that that he is the one who has saved us and he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit and he gives us his love and there's nothing that can separate us from his love. He makes it so clear that our salvation is a gift that comes from him. That's the work of him making us new creations in Christ to where if it's God that's doing that work to regenerate you and to make you a new creation in Christ, it would, it would call for God to radically change your nature back to being the old person again, the old nature again. And we don't find that in Scripture. We find that he makes us a new creation in him. He's caused us to be as white as snow. He's hurled our sins into the depths of the sea. He's replaced our sin with his righteousness, and he does that on our account. And there's just countless scriptures that would um, make it very clear that this is the case. Um, we, even within the, the sermons that we've had at, here at, at our church, there's, there's one that dates back several years called 
the perseverance of the saints in the series Theology for the Purpose of Praise. And there's a handout there that will just go through several verses that make it very clear that you cannot lose your salvation if you truly are saved. And for those of you who are sitting there saying like, but wait a second, like I, you say that, but I know someone. I know somebody that was walking with Christ and they, they've totally turned away. And they would fit into that category where God says they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out to make manifest that they were never of us. They were a part of the group that he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't say I knew you once, but you threw me for a loop. I never thought you were going to do that. He says, I never knew you. And so, we don't believe that the branch that does not bear fruit, that it's a believer who he takes away. Rather, we look at the setting of what's taking place, and we see that Judas was there just hours before. Now he's gone. The disciples are there. And I believe that it's fallen into a place of there are those who look like they're part of the church. There's those that are amongst us. They go to church. They say the right things. But no true regeneration or salvation has come into their life. As we think of other passages that, that discuss this, one would be found in um, Matthew chapter 13. Let's turn there for a moment. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. In Matthew 13, in verse 24, we find our Lord here ministering to people, and he says here, another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We find here another section of Scripture in which Jesus is speaking, and it brings some clarity to, I think, even the passage that we're looking at here this morning, where he's telling them there's these wheat and tares. They look very similar. But one is wheat that is fruitful, and the other is tares that is not. They're there growing up in the same place, and yet he'll divide them in the last times, in the last days. 
In, in verse 40 of, of Matthew 13, it says, Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there are those. There are those that they look like Christians, but they're not. He separates the sheep from the goats. There's those that are there and they, they are amongst us, but they don't bear any fruit at all. There's no regeneration that's occurred. They are not true believers. They, are, they may be those that go to church. They may be those that call themselves Christians. But when you look at their lives, there's no fruit coming forth out of their lives. And Jesus tells us that by their fruit, you'll know them. And so in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. More fruit. I'm so thankful for how he said it right there. To think that we have a Heavenly Father who is the vine dresser, and as we are bearing fruit in our lives, as we're living to glorify Him, as we're living to please Him, as we're living just to have our lives be a living sacrifice to Him and to have it be where good fruit comes forth out of our lives, I thank Him so much that we have a Heavenly Father who is there, and as we bear fruit, he prunes us. Why? So that you may bear more fruit. He's working in you to cause more fruit to come out of your life, to know that there's a reason for things that occur to us. I can picture the pruning that takes place and the cutting that occurs and feet of the vine that are Take care of the branches that are taken off so that the other parts would be more fruitful. And then we start to look at our lives and there's times in our lives in which we feel like just that is happening. We are being pruned. God's doing things in our lives and he's doing things in our lives that are not always comfortable. But if he's doing that for a reason to cause more fruit to come out of our lives, praise him for that. You have a heavenly father that is there going through the vineyards and just wanting every part of it to be fruitful for his glory, for his purposes. And in Psalm 119 and verse 67, it tells us, here the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before you did that pruning in my life, I was so prone to just wander and to go astray, but, but now I keep your word. And for us, as, as, as we think of our lives and think, how, how do we want to finish? How do we want to live? I pray that within our hearts would be hearts that, that, that say, Lord, do what is necessary in me to cause me to have much fruit come out of my life. I want to live for you. I want to please you. I want to exalt you. you you're the, the vine dresser. 
You know what's best for my life. You know what I need. Please, Lord, do that. And, and you, could, you could just hear it within the psalmist where he's come to a place of, of this affliction that's come upon him. And he's just saying, but now I keep his word. He says again in Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Your, your word is, it is better than thousands of coins of gold and silver. It's good for me that that happened to me. It's good for me that you worked in my life in that way. I would venture to say that if we went around this room, we would find people that have gone through incredible trials. And many of you at this particular point in your life, you've come to a place of being able to see how God worked that together for good in your life to cause fruit to come out of your life. It may be still so raw in in a place where you may still be thinking, I don't know exactly how this is going to work together for good in my life. And it's in times like that that you need to have a hope in your Heavenly Father who is the vine dresser, who knows what he's doing. He knows where to prune. He knows what to do to make it so that you are as fruitful as possible in this life. And his word is that which does pruning in our life. You think of Hebrews 4.12 where it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to pierce our hearts, to prune us. I think it was Spurgeon who said that the affliction is the handle. But what does the pruning is God's word. It's his word that just affects us in that way. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6, it tells us that the Lord, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. There's discipline that occurs. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Our kids get disciplined. Jonathan, when he was a little guy, oh my goodness, like he, he was so strong-willed, just you, you could just see it. You could see, like, you would tell him no, and he would look and just think, like, you could see it in his face, like, bring it. <laughs> like, you said no, like, the, and I remember just disciplining him, and I'd just be praying, like, God, please don't let him do it again. Like, I do not want to discipline him again. But at the same time, I knew, like, I cannot let him win. Like, I cannot let him think that he can do it, and if he does it enough times, sooner or later he'll break me. And yet there was times where I wanted to just break. Just don't. You love him. You, as a parent, you love your child. You don't want to discipline them. But you know that it's for their good that that happens because you want them 
to grow up to be respectful and to obey and to know what's proper and to know what's right. Natalie, same thing. I've shared this before with you, but I picture her like in the back seat of our car and we're driving and I tell her, Natalie, no. And her response was, I mean, this is, she was like less than a year old and her response was, mm. <laughs> And we still deal with a little bit of that mm. And yet, it's starting to fade. I know some of you are just like, just wait till high school. <laughs> it all comes back again, you know. But to be able to, to be a parent and know like, I'm doing what's best for them right now. I know what's best for them. And sometimes it means chastening. Sometimes it means discipline. And God does that for us. He's our father. He's our heavenly father. It's for that reason that we're told, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James 1, 2 and following. He is working in our lives to mold us and to conform us into his image. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. If you're in a place of being pruned right now, praise the Lord that he is working to cause you to bear more fruit in your life. In verse 3, the Lord goes on to say, You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. They are already clean because of the gospel. They're already clean because their faith in Christ. We're told in God's word that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus says to the disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. From there, he tells us in verse four, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me. There's those branches that are there and they look like real branches, but they are not. And Jesus is calling these disciples to know that those branches the Father will deal with and he will trim them and he will take them off and they will be burned. But for you, abide in me. Abide in me. Stay with me. Dwell with me. And I in you. See, it's impossible for a branch to, to bear fruit by itself. You cut the branch off, no fruit will come out of it. But as we are found in him, as we abide in him, as the Holy Spirit reigns in our lives, as we come to him and as a result of what God has done in us, as a result of being new creations in Christ, as a result of his word that's been given to us, as a result of him molding us, conforming to us to his image, there's fellowship that's there and there's sweetness that's there and there's communion that's there and there's prayer that's there and there's dependence that's there and we just abide in him as believers. And he with us to where we know that nothing could come forth from our life apart from him. 
Nothing. You may think of people who are unbelievers and you see what appears to be fruitful lives. But if it is not done for his kingdom, for the kingdom of God, if it's not done for his glory, if it's not done to magnify his name, if it's not done to exalt Christ, if it's not done for these reasons, for his glory, it is, it is not fruit. It's just stuff. It's just things in life. To be a Christian is to, is to find ourselves in a place of, I just want to please him in every area of my life. I want him to be exalted in every area of my life. I want to have a fruitful life. I want it to be where, Lord, you're just working in me and causing me to be right where you desire for me to be so that you can be most exalted. And apart from him doing that in us, there'd be no fruit. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. This is just an incredible verse to bring us to a place of reality, which is down here. Our biggest problem is not that we have too low of a self-esteem. That is not your biggest problem. That is not my biggest problem. We don't just think positive thoughts and have a high self-esteem in order to have good things come forth out of our lives. It is us being in a place of God You caused the fruit in my life. I can't do anything apart from you. He's making that so clear to the disciples. Picture the trunk of this vine. You're the branches. Just abide in me. You you want to have a fruitful life, but nothing is going to come out of your life apart from me. Abide in me. For without me, you can do Nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And when we read that, we think back to what I read just a few moments ago from Matthew 13, where it talks about the tares and it talks about how these are gathered together and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Or in Matthew 25, and verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. It is God that does that. Turn with me once more to Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. He says here, you will know them, Matthew seven sixteen. you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Or Revelation 20:15, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This idea of them being burned, we, we find it right here in just numerous different passages of Scripture. And for that reason, I look at what's being talked about as far as this branch that is, is cast out and it's withered and they gather them up and they throw them into fire and they're burned to being those that they look like they're part of the vine, but they were not. Look like a good tree, but it did not bear fruit. It looked like wheat, but it was a tear. It looked like these things, but they are gathered together and they are burned. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. For us this morning, thinking about this, where are you? Are you a part of the vine and a branch that is bearing fruit? Do you see within your life a desire to please God? Do you have a hatred for sin? Do you see God working in you and molding and conforming you into the image of Christ? Do you see fruit of repentance in your life and fruit of praise coming forth from your lips? Is there goodness that's coming out of your life as a result of God working in you? This is important for us this morning because I know that in a church like this, there could be people who come and they feel like they're okay because they're doing church. And yet, the bottom line is that you don't know him. There's no godly sorrow for your sin and desire to please him. There's no trust in my only hope in this life is that he died for me. His righteousness is placed on my account and my sins placed upon him on the cross. And the only way that I can be saved is because my faith is in the work of Christ upon the cross and he is my hope. He's my salvation. He did it all and now I just desire to live for him. Every last one of us is going to sin. Every last one of us is going to fall short. Every one of us will. Every one of us could wish that we had more fruit coming forth out of our lives. But if you're in a place where there is just virtually no regard at all for the things of God, your hope is in your own self and your own accomplishments, not in Christ and him crucified. You may look like you're a part of the vine, but you're not. For us as believers, there's a change that's occurred to where he's 
constantly molding us and conforming us into his image. There's a reason why Jesus warned the disciples in many different places of Scripture as far as those that looked like believers, but they were not. So that you can make your calling and election sure. So that you can know that you're believers. He doesn't want us living this life where it's just like, well, I hope I am, I hope I am. I have no idea, but I hope I am. He wants us to have confidence and to have faith in him to where we know how we're saved. We're saved because Christ died for us. He took our sins upon himself. He gives us his righteousness. And the response is living for him. It is not the fruit that saves us. It's not fruit in our lives that saves us. It's Christ that saves us. And as a result, as we abide in him, as we are believers, there's fruit that comes forth at our lives and God will discipline us and he will prune us and he will cause this word to work radically in our lives to cause more and more fruit to come out of our lives. But I would hate to leave this passage and not specifically ask by the power of the word of God for you to evaluate your life and say, am I a believer? Do I see fruit in my life? Do I see chastening take place? Do I see discipline occur? Because if I do, then I am a child. No dad disciplines someone that's not his kid. Do I see God, the Father, pruning and working and molding me into the image of Christ? I pray that you do. Jesus says in the following verses, if you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, You'll ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Pray and ask these things, and he will just work mightily in your life, causing you to be freed from sin and working in you to cause more and more fruit to come out of your life. And then Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The ESV says it this way, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And part of the reason why I I, I think that it's specifically talking about unbelievers that are the branches that wither away is because in this verse he tells us, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, and not be those that do not bear fruit, that wither away. And as we read in the context... I think that's what he's saying. Um, Brothers and sisters, abide in him. Find yourself close with him. He has saved you. He is the source of your life. Commune with him. Enjoy that place of being with him, dependent upon him, dependent upon the Holy Spirit, working in your life to cause fruit to come forth from your life. And may it be in our hearts to be Lord God, my father, my vine dresser, prune me that there might be more and more fruit coming forth out of my life. May that be our passion. May that be our prayer. And we, may we just watch God just work miraculously in our lives and in Reverence Bible Church for the purpose of his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the section of scripture, Lord. I pray, Lord, for anybody that's here this morning, maybe that... There's doubt in their salvation. They don't see any fruit in their lives. They don't see any repentance there. They don't see any desire to live for you, any desire to follow you. 
May today be the day of salvation for them. May you just expose that they fit into that category of being gathered together and burned in the end. I pray, Lord, that there won't be one person that leaves this place in that condition. May today be the day that they hope in you and they trust in you and they call upon you and they find themselves placing all their hope in, Lord, your work upon the cross to forgive them of their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. For us as believers here this morning, may we just praise you that we abide in you, that you work in our lives and that we are so dependent upon you to have fruit come out of our lives. And may we just call upon you and depend upon you to do a work in us to make it so much fruit comes out of our life, Lord. May it all be the result of you accomplishing that. We'll give you all the glory. So thankful, Lord, for the way in which you save us and the way in which you finish the work that you began in us. We exalt you today. In Jesus' name, amen.